This is the Emergency Medical Minute. Real, raw, relevant emergency medical education. We're going to change topics now, and uh, we're going to go from the basically far outskirts of marijuana, medical marijuana, um, to really how this is affecting people in their everyday lives. And, uh, and we have the great privilege to have uh, a patient who's decided to come and share her story to educate us as providers of what marijuana is doing and how it's changed her life. And, uh, and her name is Miss Laura Gibbs, and she is uh, you know, an entrepreneur. She has a, uh, she has a small business that works in social consulting called Rise Above. And, uh, and her, I think her story has a lot to teach us as medical providers about, you know, one, what our patients are going through, how we should perceive this, et cetera. So I'm really, would love to welcome Laura, and, uh, and thank you so much for being here. Hello. Hi. So, Laura, first, uh, I'd love you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Let us get to know you. You know, I, I like to go in front of audiences and show people that um, a different perspective of what a stoner looks like, because I have worked in the United States Congress for years. I used to work for Johns Hopkins University. I own a successful business. I'm a two-time homeowner. I am married to a Denver Health paramedic, um, and I smoke weed every single day. And you are all treating a lot of patients like me, and you have no idea how many are out there. So. Wow. wow. So let me ask, you know, that definitely shatters a lot of preconceptions, I think, of kind of the old lazy stoner who basically does weed and sits on their couch and eats a lot of Cheetos, you know. <laughs> um, so let, let me ask, have you smoked weed, have you used marijuana and used cannabis? When did you start using? When, when, when did it start kind of becoming a medical thing for you? Uh, well, I, you know, I've dabbled in it my whole life, you know, so I, it was not a new introduction to it, but it was really after a um, pretty catastrophic health event. Um, in 2006, I collapsed at work at the time working on Capitol Hill in DC um, because I, for three weeks I had ignored the sensation of a rusty ice pick behind my eye. Um, and I was sent home in a taxi and that week I took a taxi to a neurologist and I was diagnosed as a migraine sufferer. Um, at that point I tried every triptan on the market. Um, I was having occipital nerve blocks, steroid injections into the back of my head. Uh, I landed myself in the emergency room about six weeks into this migraine. I was in the emergency room and the doctor said, uh, I think this is just a tension headache. I'm just going to put you on oxygen. Um, which 
I mean, my friend who was there with me said the look on my face was like I was going to punch him for not believing me. That <laughs> it, it felt like he, I mean, he was telling me it wasn't as real as it was in my head. Um, I, I did protest and ultimately got a neurology consult, and they admitted me. Um, I was at George Georgetown University Hospital for eight days, and in retrospect, I think they didn't even know what to do with me. So um, I was discharged from there, and then I landed myself at um, the Jefferson University Hospital Headache Center in Philadelphia, where I was diagnosed with transformed migraine and chronic daily headache. Um, and I was admitted to their inpatient center there. So give us an idea, what were those headaches like, and how did they affect your life after this event where you collapsed? Oh, I, I mean, my life was, fell apart. I couldn't work. I, couldn't, I could barely walk. Uh, I had to have friends come over and cook for me. I, I ended up, thankfully, Jefferson was in Philadelphia where my parents were because I had to go stay with them because I couldn't, I couldn't function. Um, I couldn't, you know, I wore sunglasses inside at night because I was in so much pain all the time, and this was constant. And... Uh... You know, what was, tell us your experience with the medical care that, you know, you talked about the emergency department, but then when you went to this kind of, you know, Thomas Jefferson headache center beacon of, you know, yeah. really the forefront of medical research when it comes to headache, what was that experience like for you as a patient? Well, I went in like, this is it. I had, like, these were my saviors. I felt like I was finally going to have a solution. And my, my first course of treatment was a compound called DHE. I don't know what the whole name of it is, but DHE is the go-to for chronic migraine sufferers intravenously. And um, after eight days, I hadn't responded to that. So they decided to treat me with intravenous lidocaine. And, you know, when you're being treated with intravenous lidocaine, I had to be moved from the headache unit to the heart unit because it... The theory is that it reduces your blood pressure significantly enough to reduce the inflammation of the blood vessels in your brain, stopping that cycle that I was stuck in with a migraine constantly. Um, but lidocaine um, causes your veins to collapse, so I had to have a new IV put in a couple times a day sometimes. Um, ultimately, I think around day 12, they put a PICC line in uh, for the medication, but I still had to have blood drawn every day for levels. And again, I, have I was having collapsing blood veins. So it was, it was torture. Um, and I three times lost my sight completely while I was in the hospital. The one time they're certain that it was due to the lidocaine because I had a telltale, uh, very vivid hallucination uh, from the medication. So they immediately knocked down the lidocaine. Um, that's, they couldn't try that high therapeutic dose anymore, and the next step was a spinal tap, um, which the you know, headline from that is like, we learned nothing and it helped nothing. Um, except I had an invasive procedure and was in, in additionally an insane amount of back pain. So uh, it was at the end of the month I was discharged and it was not because I was better, it was because I didn't respond to anything. Wow. Well, first of all, I think as a human being as a medical provider, you know, I just feel terrible, terrible for that experience that, that you had. Um, so that was when, and when did it get better? How did it get better? 
I, it was a long time before it got better because then I was still in outpatient care at Jefferson and I hit the onslaught of, you know, I was taking oral lidocaine, I was taking Topamax, which a lot of you may know patients call Dopamax because you can get so disoriented that if I tried to find the bathroom here, I would get lost, like lost, and someone, an adult would need to come help me. I had word recall problems. Um, I, it, it's a severe appetite suppressant. I weighed 30 pounds less than I do right now. I was taking 17 pills a day and I was still having migraines at least 15 days a month. So it did not really get better for a really long time. Um, but that factored into my decision to move to Colorado to have access to medical marijuana. Yeah. And, uh, and tell me, how did, when did that idea that, hey, I've gone through some pretty experimental migraine therapies, some pretty traditional migraine therapies. When did that idea kind of pop in your head that marijuana might be something that, that would help? And tell uh, us about that transition. Yeah, actually, it was because I, I went down and I was, I, I was so sick of the drugs. I mean, I was taking pills for the side effects of the pills, you know, and just swallowing an obscene amount of drugs every day. And I... You know, I started seeing an acupuncturist and she had to put me through a detox protocol that she also uses on uh, heroin addicts that she would treat in prison to help me detox from all these drugs in my system. And that led me down the alternative medicine, more natural route. And marijuana was a big part of that. So I did, you know, I, I, I was working at Johns Hopkins University at the time and I was a little nervous about being drug tested, but it was at the point where I was like, I don't care. It was also like 2009, so the economy was pretty crappy and they weren't going to spend money drug testing a federal policy analyst. So um, I found that it, 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 I came to appreciate it over alcohol and it, and it came back into my life, but I, I was a little frustrated because I didn't have a steady access and this, the effect that I would get from things is like, sometimes I'd be like, chatty, chatty, um, and sometimes I was ready to zonk out. So it was, it was so inconsistent. Um, so I, it wasn't until I moved to Colorado and then I have the cornucopia of options here um, and a, a lot of different resources. So what did, uh, you know, tell me how you treat your headaches with marijuana and how, how effective it's been, if there's been, you know, changes. Tell me a little bit about your medical yeah. history with marijuana. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say, like, oh, overall, it was a, it's a life changer for me. It gave me my life back. Um, I have found that in, in, in a migraine condition, you need both a preventative treatment and you need an abortive treatment because I still get migraines, so I have to treat them. So in a preventative sense, I was not seeing, I, you know, I have struggle with anxiety. I have, a, you know, so naturally I have a lot of stress in my life. So stress management is a bit of an issue. And it, once I started using cannabis daily, that was when it felt like my baseline anxiety was reduced, that I didn't have, I wasn't constantly venturing into this level of agitation that could bring on a migraine. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I joked to my husband that, you know, cause I'm, I'm a little bit high strung and he knows that. Um, and I joked to him like, you should have seen me before 
I smoked pot every day. Um, but as an abortive, this is the thing that has been such a game changer because I am non-responsive to most triptans on the market. And so I have no, I had no option to interrupt a migraine as it was starting or once it started. It was just like, well, my day's done and this could last three days. Um, so if I catch it in time, I have found, and this is through exhaustive research and experimentation on myself, talking with the medical marijuana community and a lot of bud tenders and a lot of online researchers, I found that the one-to-one -one THC to CBD combination is what's critical for me. And if I get it in time, it will stop a migraine in its tracks and I can just carry on with my day. Now, unlike a triptan that would cause you, you know, if you don't catch it in time, you take your triptan like 10 minutes too late, it's useless. Um, and then it can actually cause you to rebound even harder. But if I miss that window um, and then I just go and lay down for an hour or two and puff on a CBD THC one-to-one -one solution and in two hours I can go back to running my business. Wow. So it's been, you know, just like you said, pretty life-changing for you. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, you, you know, you're a success successful business owner. You've worked at, in Congress at some of, uh, arguably the most prestigious medical institution in the world at Johns Hopkins. Um, both of those places aren't very friendly environments when it comes to cannabis. Um, would you speak to me about some of those feelings of maybe stigma or other things that you've either gone through or that, you know, daily cannabis users go through? And, and I, this is something that I really care about. And I, I think the stigma is something that is, it is so hard for me. And I think medical professionals sometimes may even overestimate. They wish that doc, uh, patients were more forthcoming. And it's like, you got to understand what we've been called and how much we've been shamed for using this to, to listen to our body and control our needs. So, you know, I, no way to say it other than I, you know, I am not the, the stoner bro at the 420 rally that took too many dabs that my husband has to transfer to Denver Health. That is not me and that's not a lot of people. Um, that is a small segment of the population, and sometimes I feel like I'm treated that way or I'm perceived that way. Um, and what ultimately that results in is you may not be forthcoming with your doctor. And, you know, that lack of information sharing with your doctor, you know, that that breaks down everything. And I, I'm, I believe in talking to my doctor about it, but you have kids... Moms that I know that use medical marijuana, they don't tell their doctor because they're afraid that somehow Child Protective Services is going to show up in, at their house. This is something that gets, still gets brought up in divorce proceedings, use of marijuana. So I, um, I had a friend who had, you know, her uterus was completely wrapped in tumors and she had to have all of that removed. And um, it, when she was in recovery, she did not want to take opiates. Um, you know, she did not like how it made her feel. And so her boyfriend smuggled edibles into the hospital for her. And she had to lie to her doctor in order to treat herself more safely. Wow. You know, um, how do you, you've obviously have a doctor. You've been in the medical environment more than a young lady should with your, you know, these debilitating migraines. Um, do you feel like it's still something that's stigmatized and, 
looked down upon? Have you experienced that type of stigma when you've had to access care ever since becoming a, you know, a medical marijuana patient? You know, in, it, it is a great privilege to live in this state. And the, the people that live in this state um, are so lucky that they have access to it. And um, just talking to my friends that struggle with different things outside of this state, it's, that, that changes everything. And it does open up the conversation. Um, and the interesting thing that, I, that strikes me is that I've had friends and colleagues say to me, like, well, it's okay that you use it because you have your shit together. And it's like, what level of privilege do you need to have in your life in order to be like, this is okay that you use this to manage pain? And people like to joke about Colorado that, like, a snowboarder has a bad knee and he smokes weed all the time. Well, so what? At least he's not doing opiates. So to, the, people make a lot of jokes about it still. And, um, but, it, you know, I am surrounded by medical marijuana patients in my life and... If you spend any time with them, you will see the transformative effect that it has on the life. And that's why when you're, I know a lot of the folks out here probably have interacted with people who, like, we call them canamoms that treat their kids with seizures. And they are rabidly defensive of this because they had to do all of this research on their own. They had to find these solutions on their own. It took me eight years to find a miracle drug that I can now grow in my backyard. Wow. That's... No, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to start wrapping this up. There's so much more I want to ask you, you know, but, uh, but uh, let's start wrapping this up so we can get to Dr. Wolk and then have a Q&A where you audience members can, you know, ask all the questions that are burning in the back of your brains. But is there any last kind of message or thought that you want to share with kind of this room of medical professionals and, like I said, all our listeners that we have uh, on our podcast? I, I, like I said, I think you're treating a lot more medical marijuana patients than you have any idea. Um, and this really scary thing is, is that they're getting more information about marijuana from their $12 an hour bud tender than they are from their medical doctor. And that should be inexcusable to every single person in this room. Bud tenders can be super helpful. I'm not knocking them. But when you have someone who is dealing with a serious medical condition that they need to talk to their doctor about, like they need to have another resource and need to be able to talk to a medical professional. Oh. Uh, that, that, that is very well, very well taken. And, uh, you know, I think for all of us who sometimes don't treat our patients as well as they came, one of my favorite quotes in emergency medicine, bar none, uh, was from Dr. Greg Henry, who's a doctor up in Michigan, where whether it's a person who uses medical marijuana that you might not agree with, whether it's a person who's a heroin addict, whether it's a person who doesn't vaccinate their kids, you know, which to most of us is pretty damn outrageous. They came for your care and not for your judgment. Always kind of helps us keep in focus that we have to, to some degree, accept people how they are, do the best that we can to educate them with scientific information, and then at the end of the day, care for them um, as if they were our family. So that's really one of the biggest charges that we have in medicine. And uh, I thank you so much, Lauren, for, through your story, reminding us of that charge to care for our patients and for being so brave and forthcoming with your story of suffering and medicalization and subsequently with, of triumph with, uh, with uh, what you found 
kind of outside the traditional medical realm. I, I tried everything. This was not lack of me trying Western medicine. Well, well, thank you so much. We appreciate yeah. your comments. Okay, so we are at our last speaker. And, uh, and our last speaker, I am so jazzed that he is here, by the way. Uh, we emailed the governor's office kind of on a whim, thinking, hey, maybe we can get someone to come speak to us about marijuana and our experience here in Colorado. And uh, we were just tickled pink that we got Larry, Dr. Larry Wolk, uh, who basically is Colorado's CMO. <laughs> Right? He's, he's the big dog when it comes to Colorado medicine. Uh, his actually title, if you want to be specific, he is the executive director and CMO of the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. So this guy is a, is a big fish, and he's here to talk with us about, uh, about marijuana, medical marijuana, and our experience here in the state of Colorado. Thank you for being here, Dr. Wolk.